Hello, friends. Long time no listen. I have missed you so, so much. I have received so many emails and texts, and I've seen a lot of tags in the past couple of days about all sorts of things. People have said, where have you been? Please, I want to know that you're around, you're alive, you're doing well, and especially um, concerning the recent news that the new owner of Skirt Sports, who's been running the business for three years, has decided to shut it down. And so here I am surfacing to share some cool stuff with you because change does not have to be bad. And what we have to remember is that when you start really cool things like skirt sports, like this amazing community of women who are still connected and will still be connected no matter what happens to this company, um, you know, it lives on. Things live on and they evolve and change can be so good. So I wanted to just share something cool with you. In the midst of lots happening, right? I mean, honestly, it's been almost three years since I've really been at the helm of skirt sports and really been in in super uh, frequent communication with all of you. I've dabbled a lot. I have done all kinds of adventures after we moved to Steamboat Springs. I uh, have really been focused on being a huge part of my daughter Wilder's growing up. She's now in middle school. She did her first dance last weekend. Oh, my God. I've had a couple big surgeries. I have been fixing my body, right? I've had a spinal fusion almost two years ago. And then in May of this year, I had a surgery to fix a foot injury that I've had for a decade. Still working on the healing from that. I've dabbled in super cool pursuits like um, I put on the first ever kids business boot camp in Steamboat Springs and helped inspire these kids to start businesses and and uh, think in different ways. And that was so inspiring for me. I've done tons of public speaking and tons and tons of interviews over the last couple years, um, including the reason I'm here today, which I'm going to get to in a minute, new podcast I started last year. Um, but, oh, and I've also, I also opened my own little Poshmark closet, um, largely because I've been in the process of letting go for years. I've got a garage full of skirt sports clothing that doesn't fit me the way it used to fit me when I was 32 and not almost 52. <laughs> and um, you know what's funny? I did realize the other day, this is so ironic. God, I spent 15 years creating a footprint, basically, through creating products that, yes, women love and that helped them feel great in their bodies. Um, But I did realize and have realized as I've watched my young daughter grapple with issues pertaining to the environment and the world we live in, that I really strongly believe in a project I started at the end of Skirt Sports and when I was, you know, rolling with it, um, which was a resale aspect of the company where we could limit the footprint or maybe even reduce, take back some of that big footprint by giving clothing a second life and a third life. 
and as many lives as it needs because the products that we made were so incredible that they they last a really long time. And as I'm here today, Skirt Sports has been announced. Um, Sarah, who took over the company, has announced that she's shutting down the business. And so this is it, you know, it's like the end of an era, right? And it's okay. It's okay to move on. But it's also okay to let those things that you love so much continue circulating in this world. So who knows what the next phase will be for skirt sports and and if it just goes away forever or if this community comes together in an even bigger way because you guys, you know, those connections, they're just, they're stronger than we think. That's all I can say. So um, my latest venture, I'm going to share more about soon when, uh, when I'm ready. But it's, it includes caffeine. <laughs> you all know I stopped drinking many years ago. I switched what my uh, large, largely switched my passions from alcohol to coffee. And uh, I've been enjoying it for many, many years. Well, I'm, I'm doing something bigger with coffee right now. And within a, a couple of weeks, I think I'll have something cool to share with you. Um, but until then, I'm going to leave you just knowing that uh, a caffeinated state of love is, is about to come your way. Maybe we'll create a coffee community and we can continue this uh, community in different ways. Um, but in the meantime... You're here today and you're listening because I am sharing a very fun interview that I did through the Steamboat Springs Winter Sports Club show. Last year, I, I pitched to this local amazing kids sports club that I wanted to create a podcast because they it's just such an incredible program, it has such a profound impact on so many people in the community, including my daughter and now including my husband, Tim. Tim is a coach for the program, for the Winter Sports Club. He's creating, he's starting something new and special and different, and he's making a difference. And I had the chance to put him, first of all, we got him on the calendar for this year's, the second season of the show. And uh, the episode was so good that... I decided you all should hear it because it's really an extension of my own life, not just a specialized sports thing for kids in Steamboat. It's a conversation between me and Tim, and it's it's an intimate hour of chatting about how how Tim ticks. And you know when you're tied to somebody for so many years, I met Tim in 1995, you know, their life is also your life in many, many ways. So I hope you enjoy today's little intimacy moment. And, um, you know, you guys, I will stay connected. I promise. Um, thanks for having patience and letting me do this the way it's naturally occurring in my life. I obviously didn't write this intro. It's quite choppy. I don't even know what I'm saying right now, except that I miss you all. Feel free to reach out anytime. You can find me through my website, nicoledeboom.com. Um, and just shoot me a note if you want. I'm not really on social yet. Again, maybe never will be, but uh, I will send out emails 
and I'm I'm getting ready to send out another one soon. So sign up for my little email list. I think you can through NicoleDeBoom.com. I'm going to check on that right now, actually. And I, I like communicating that way. Maybe I'm old school. Maybe email is really old school, but that feels um, even better and more intimate to me than social media these days. All right, my friends, enjoy this chat with me and my hubby, Tim. Hey, everyone. I hope you're having a great day. I certainly am because I'm sitting here with my favorite person in the world, someone you're also about to know a whole lot better, the current SSWSC mountain bike and schemo coach, former two-time Ironman triathlon world champion, yes, you're outed officially, consummate gear enthusiast, health and fitness guru, father of sixth grade SSWSC athlete, Wilder Daboom, and my husband, that was the dead giveaway right there, Tim Daboom. Hello. <laughs> That's, <all you> got <laughs> That's for quite me. the intro. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's worthy. Covering all the bases. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing like, people don't know really anything about you. You kind of snuck into this town. Um, and one thing I just want to share with them is that you do a lot in a day. It's only like just after 8 30. And I cannot believe how hard it is to actually set up a time to interview the person you live with. Hello. Um, you've already been up for hours. I've been up for like an hour and a half getting the kid ready for school. What was your morning like? Well, uh, typical morning was this morning. You know, the raccoon woke me up <laughs> from my sleep, which was about normal time. I got up about four. And normal to have wildlife waking you up. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was up about four, quick cup of coffee, um, actually did a little ski erg workout, and then went for a run. So I got that in before um, you guys were even awake, <laughs> and then uh, was home in time to, you know, see that Wilder got up and, you know, help her get ready and off to school. Okay, but wait, like... A lot of people listening are kind of like, wait, so that's kind of a lot. Is that all you do in a day fitness-wise? No. Um, definitely not. Uh, you know, going back to my history of being an athlete, basically, since I was like six, seven years old, it's kind of in me. And uh, I hate to use the word addiction, but exercise is a bit of an addiction for me and my body doesn't really like to sit still throughout a day. So I try and cram as much in as I can. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're like a crammer of activity. Yep. You know, we should probably just start from the beginning then and get a little bit deeper into your background and why you came to be the guy you are today. So let's just start with like your humble beginnings. Uh, grew up with in Iowa of all places. And I have three brothers um, and we were, my parents were trying to keep us out of trouble and uh, at least get some of the energy out. So they threw us all into swim team. And from the age of six years old, seven years old, I was a competitive swimmer and that meant swimming five to six days a week. Um, as soon as I turned you know, 11, 12 years old, it was twice a day, sometimes three times a day. Uh, there were other sports thrown in there as well. I played my share of football and stuff like that, but swimming was the one that stuck. Um, 
all the way through the first couple years of college. But, um, you know, I think that my body was adapted to be an endurance athlete from a very young age. Okay. So if like, do you think that the fact that swimming is the sport that stuck instead of football or a different team sport or something else played a big role in like your mindset and your passion for, for sports today? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I didn't actually like swimming that much. I mean, it was, it was a passion, but it wasn't, I, I obviously had more fun on the team sports and things like that, but I showed a little proficiency in swimming at a young age. And my parents, you know, some of my coaches were like, Hey, these, you know, kids are talented in the water. And once you show a little bit of talent, I think you're pushed in that direction a little bit. And any little taste of success, even at 10 years old can go a long ways. Um, so when you start performing on a state level and then going to a national level, um, yeah, I think it, you know, shaped at least the direction I was headed. Well, I mean, I'm right there with you because yeah, you were, we were both swimmers exactly. in our parallel little worlds yep. of possibly having been to the same swim meet once when we were kids, but not meeting until adults, right? Exactly. Um, And so I get that. It's kind of like you're thrown into it. So you're just kind of doing it and you don't necessarily love it, but it becomes a part of you. Well, it definitely becomes a part of your your body. I mean, you get so used to that activity level. And, you know, for me, it was, uh, there's a huge satisfaction in pushing your body to a certain level and the exhaustion we would feel after spending five hours in the water every day and a coach pushing you and that exhaustion, you couldn't get it from anything else. I didn't have any friends that were not swimmers that knew anything about the level of, you know, food we needed to eat and just the amount of time we spent working out. And I don't think that's going to go away. I mean, obviously I have friends that stopped swimming and they never did anything again. Well, and I guess like, let's pause for a second and talk about some of those influences. Like you keep mentioning to your coaches, right? Yep. And you're a coach now. And it's hard for me to think that part of the way you coach and your philosophy on coaching wasn't shaped, at least in part, by some of the coaches you had, good and bad, right? So will you share a little bit about your memorable coaches and, and what they did to influence your path? I have a number of coaches, good, like you said, good and bad, um, and the ones that probably really shaped who I became as an adult athlete. Uh, you know, one leading back originally, I had one, my first swim coach when I started on just the neighborhood country club swim team. And his name was Nick. And he, he's the guy probably who shaped my life more than anything else because he was, he was my first swim coach, but he was also, he, he was a later in life, he was a triathlete. And so that came much later after being a swimmer. But you know, he just, he was almost like a, a fifth brother to the family. I mean, my parents really, you know, he, I think he saw promise in us, uh, the brothers as swimmers and he uh, nurtured us as athletes and called us out when we, like, you know, he's the one who <laughs> changed my life with one day at the pool. And that was, Tell, yeah, I want to hear that. Uh, we, we grew up swimming in this outdoor pool in the summertime that was not heated, ice cold. I was a skinny little twig of a kid. And 
the water was so cold I could hardly stand it. We would get after every interval we swam, we'd hop out on the hot deck that the sun was shining on just to warm up for five seconds. And there was one day where it was so cold that I hopped out and just couldn't get back in for that next interval. I was laying on the cement and the coach didn't see it at the time. And he looked over finally and saw me still laying on the deck as the other swimmers were taking off. And he just yelled at me from across the pool. Nice attitude, Tim. And (laughs) I I mean, I'm I'm an 11 year old kid or something like that. And that is what sat in my head, still sits in my head, sits in my head as I coach my athletes now that all it takes is maybe one thing, saying one thing to a kid that can change their life forever. And I mean, I, I immediately was back in that water and said, I don't want to upset my coach. I got to perform. Well, and I'm going to also add that the reason it's possible, the reason that that one comment, which is kind of just not even a very special comment, it wasn't like, you know, this crazy language or swear words or anything. It was nice attitude. Um, maybe that stuck also because you knew in your heart that you shouldn't be laying on that deck and that wasn't who you really were. Oh, for sure. It was guilt. And I mean, and that, that carried over. Like if I, I was by, uh, growing up the end of the season of swim practice of swim team in, they always had awards and there was best performance and most outstanding swimmer. And the one that I always wanted was most important to me was most dedicated athlete. And that was what I shot for every year and received. And it was meant I didn't miss a practice. I didn't. I was first one in the water, last one out of the water. I would practice starts and turns after practice. And it was me and my brother. And we, you know, we would swim in a lane together. Coach knew to put us in a lane together. And anybody else he put in our lane was going to either get better and swim with us or they're going to probably end up in tears. And that was (laughs) that. So my brother Tony and I, every practice if the coach put somebody else in our lane our goal was to get them out of our lane and so was nick the only coach then was he the coach at that time or who else had a profound influence on you well the other influence was my 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 main high school coach coach voss and he was a hard ass i mean he definitely i mean he wasn't your warm fuzzy coach he was kind of you know i wasn't he wasn't mean but you weren't, you didn't want to upset him. And so you just did what he said. And he had a history of creating great athletes and great swimmers. I mean, he's the most decorated high school swim coach, one in the country and definitely in the state of Iowa. And he produced some amazing athletes, um, Olympians and everything. And so you just, you listened to what he said and you trusted him as a coach. And that was, you know, that, that's a big thing with with a young kid if you trust your coach and you perform under him then that goes a long way definitely i mean i have this whole list of words i want to hit on today and i just added trust to it because i'm even remembering back to when i was a swimmer and you you had ups and downs during a season by design it was, and so when you had your downs, because you were working hard and you weren't supposed to peak for like a mid-season race or whatever, you had to trust that the coach knew what they were talking about. And that's not something that's easy to accept. And only through experience, I think, do you learn that. 
Well, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it goes that saying, trust in the process. And as yes, of course, as a high school kid, you want to win every race. You want to race every race as hard as you can. But once you reach a certain level, you have goals. And when I was, you know, in high school, that goal became state. And, you know, at, and throughout high school, once you accomplished your goals at state, you had that other, you know, goal in your head of nationals. And so that was what you focused on. And we trained all season for state. Yes. Yeah. And did it always pay off? Uh, for the most part, you know, I mean, <laughs> actually three out of the four years of high school, it paid off. One year, the taper didn't hit, you know, and oh, it, it, it wasn't like I blamed the coach, but, um, you know, it's, it's tough. I was hard on myself. Yeah. I mean, I was definitely very hard on myself. Well, and now that you are a coach, it's a, <laughs> it is definitely something that everybody wears on their shoulders. Like a kid's performance. It's funny as a parent listening, sometimes you probably want to blame the coach when your kid doesn't do well. Absolutely. And when your kid does well, you don't always want to give the coach kudos. Like it's just this sort of, and, and the thing is, it's a team process. You and the kid are a team. Yeah. You need feedback from the kids and the kids need to listen to the coach. I mean, it's, it's definitely a two way street. Um, but yeah, if you trust your coach and you do what they say and you don't perform, then you, you know, you got to go back to the drawing board with some things, but hopefully you don't lose faith in that coach. It's funny. Um, well, by the way, listeners, if you hear the occasional clanking, we have a one and a half year old French bulldog named Pickle. He's steamboat famous. Do you hear that? He might be playing on a bone, but I'm not worried about it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's not a glitch. That's our dog in the background. This is real life, everybody. All right. So let's just say you developed quite an amazing foundation for strength, confidence, and um, just athletic foundation going forward with your swimming background. What did you do with your swimming after high school? Well, I tried to swim in college and didn't, uh, couldn't put in the effort or didn't have the love for it, um, which I think at that level you need. And I was kind of burnt out. I had put so much into it um, in high school that it, it definitely uh, was, I was, I guess, burnt out is the right, the right word. And I, I look back at my high school years and, you know, my swim coach was so strict that he was like, no, you can't run track, even though I probably was a better runner than I was swimmer. And he just said, you're a swimmer. You're not going to do other sports. And I look back at that and I, I do regret it. I mean, I, I've talked about that before. Um, I feel like I missed out and I probably would have been a better swimmer if I had branched out and done us, you know, the spring season of track or the fall season of cross country. Um, okay. So a lot of people listening have kids, some of whom might be your athletes right now who are towing the line of burnout or being potentially suggested that they should specialize maybe before they're ready. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, that's a mistake. I think there's a, there's an, obviously there's kids that defy that and who are reaching that national level at the age of 15 or 16 and beginning to specialize is, is probably important at that point. But 
if you're still trying to find your way, and especially in endurance sports, because all you're doing is building your engine at this point. And, you know, like for the technique sports and strength, like, like alpine skiing, you know, I think the focus can be there, but you still need to balance it. You can't just be all out all year. And endurance training, like I said, going back to building that engine, you can build it doing anything. And that's why I'm I'm adamant with the kids who are like on the mountain bike program. I'm like, hey, this winter, let's do schemo. And that's why I help build this schemo program in the winter, which is ski mountaineering, which to me is basically like mountain biking, but on skis. And, you know, I think the the change in pace and effort gives these kids a nice break. They build different muscle, you know, strength and balance. And it's just a huge you know, break from the monotony of riding a bike, you know, because you, even if you're focusing on, you know, mountain bike nationals in the summer to take this break in the winter to just build your aerobic engine is going to pay off down the road. Well, let's come back to the specifics of these awesome programs that you're helping spearhead and talk about how, you know, obviously swimming alone didn't stick for you. So you got specialized maybe too young. Then you ended up uh, stumbling into another career, your big career of your life before coaching, um, which was included three sports. So basically you did the, you diversified later. So let's talk about your career in triathlon. How did you, how did triathlon enter your life? Well, once I knew that swimming was kind of phasing out of my life, um, I wasn't reaching that top national level that as a swimmer, you kind of need to reach or you're done. And, uh, but I still obviously had a little bit of competitive drive to do something. And going back to that first swim coach of mine, Nick, a little competitive um, drive. (laughs) I knew that he had been doing some triathlons and, you know, I was in college now and I was like, ah, and I had heard about that this thing called the Ironman. And I knew one great swimmer who had been trying to qualify for this Ironman thing. He was older than I was. And I always kind of looked up to his work ethic. Um, and so once I was done swimming completely, I was like, ah, maybe I'm going to try and do this Ironman. I hadn't seen it even like, you know, people have said, you know, they saw it on TV and they wanted to do it. And I hadn't seen it or anything. I had just heard about it. And so I, you know, at the time there were a few qualifying races around the country and I decided one winter that I was like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, go down to this race in Memphis, Tennessee and see what it's all about. And I had done one triathlon before that a year earlier. And, um, so I went to this race and I won it and I qualified for Ironman and (laughs) I had no idea what I had gotten myself into at that point. I was 20 years old and, you know, full-time college student, but, uh, that's when it kind of took hold. I I went to the Ironman that year kind of on a whim, had never ridden a hundred. I mean, the Ironman is a two and a half mile swim, a 112 mile bike and a full marathon, 26.2 mile run. And I had never done those distances. I mean, the swim, obviously I had, but I'd never ridden 112 miles straight, never ridden a hundred miles, um, had never run a marathon probably in a week of running. And so I went and did it and, by myself, flew over there, uh, did the race, you know, didn't know anybody, didn't know much about it, was eating pop tarts and candy bars on the, on the bike to fuel myself. And, but, but it took hold. I mean, it, 
you know, did it once. And that was like, this is it. This is what I want. And this was 1992? 1992. Oh, my gosh. I mean, how cool. I I just can imagine everyone listening is like, oh, my gosh, what courage for like a 20 year old (laughs) kid to go out and do it. Did you have fun? I had a blast because I had no expectations and it was just, it's the the entire reason I got into it was I asked myself this question. I wonder if I can do this. I wonder if I can finish. And I've kind of, you know, come full circle at the end of my triathlon career. That was what I was looking for again. And, you know, along the way it kind of disappeared, but, you know, in today's my life, it's like, I wonder if I can do this. You know, when I set myself a challenge and things like that, it, it all goes back to that and it's pushing myself. You know, you raced as a pro triathlete for almost 20 years. I mean, you turned pro shortly after within a couple years of that first race, you know, and you just moved on and went for it. And then many really amazing things in your life happened through the sport of triathlon. What can you think of any off the top of your head? <laughs> You're really pushing here. Um, well, I got, I met my wife. See, relationships. Yes, relationships happen. Traveled the world. Uh, I've been to pretty much every place I could want to go, except for a couple places in this world. Um, you know, and it was all through sport, you know, and, and so I... Triathlon's given me kind of everything. Sport has given me everything, you know, and even having my kid, you know, comes down to, you know, the sport and things like that. So it's, uh, you know, it's, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay schooling, but, <laughs> but, you know, you did get your college degree. I did. That was another, uh, story along the way. I yeah. left, I left college with uh, what, eight credit hours left to go train and and race on the triathlon circuit. My mom never really forgave me for that one. But, um, you know, after she passed away, I did go back after like after my last season of racing, I went back to school and I got finished that degree. Well, what's funny is earlier than that, you would have had to go live in Iowa to finish your degree. And then online school began and became a thing. So you were able to do it. They were more than happy to have me back. I know. Isn't that funny? Um, so it's funny because when you started racing, started this career, you had come out of an intense early, you know, childhood and developmental time as a swimmer. And then you started this new sport and it was fun and there was wonder, right? And excitement around it. And then you kind of mentioned that, you know, that might've gone away in the middle, but it came back again at the end. So what made... You know, and in the middle was the greatest success of your athletic career. I mentioned in the intro, you are a world champion. You are still the last American to win the Hawaii Ironman, which is the Ironman World Championship and a very well-known race. If anybody thinks of triathlon, that's the only thing they think of. So in the middle there, when you were winning, you won two in a row on the world stage, were those your not your happiest years? Like how how did that all come together? Um, I mean, you know, you ha- you. I think it's similar to any sport where you're or anything in life. Once you reach everything you're doing up until that point, is to reach that point. Everything. I mean, I my birthday, my Christmas, everything was the Hawaii Ironman every year. Like that, I you know, I didn't. Everything was geared towards that. That was my year. And so I, as long as I had that focus, 
I was, I was excited and you know, my, it, it was, that was who I was. And then when you finally reach that point, I mean, I'll never forget the first, I crossed finish line the first time and my best friend and agent was there and <laughs> first words out of my mouth were like, next year we really crush them. And I, I couldn't even enjoy the first one because I was already thinking of the second one. And, you know, those are the little regrets along the way is not truly enjoying those successes and, and having fun. And I, I wouldn't say those were low points, but they weren't the high points of my career. I mean, Achievement-wise, they were, but not emotionally. You know, I think along the way, the stories, the training with my friends, the training trips, uh, the traveling around the world. With your wife. Yeah, with my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, actually meeting my wife and getting, you know, those are the things that make the difference now in... uh, you know, looking back, it, it's, you know, that old cliche hindsight is twenty twenty. you know, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't be here, you know, in this position that I'm in right now without having accomplished what I did. Well, you know, I think, um, I, I guess so many thoughts are going through my head because I lived this with you, you right. know, yep. I raced pro as well, but for a much shorter period of time. And I, I watched what you did and there's probably the only reason I raced pro is because I had you. I hung on your wheel in training and you taught me so much and I saw how hard you worked and that that was at the base of everything. You know, I would say, what do you think? Do you think you have the most talent or the most, you know, whatever? And you would always just be like, I just work the hardest. I'm the hardest worker out there. And And you were so regimented. Well, and that's been that's been my whole life. Like I was not the most, you were a way more gifted swimmer than I was. And I, but I worked harder than anybody. And it, that got me to a certain level, you know, state champion in, in Iowa and, you know, junior national level of swimming, but it was never my talent and my size was never going to get me any further. But triathlon was one of those sports where, I mean, I think it's changing a little bit now where the talent is coming through with the hard work and the specialization. But when I was winning and racing, it did come down to who worked the hardest, who trained the hardest. Cause we all kind of trained the same, but yet there were little things along the way about the dedication. And it's like, just never skipping a workout, never like giving up a workout and knowing that this one workout was vital to the success. And then just learning how to rest. You know, mm. it's like, you have to, you know, I, I could always train the hardest, but you know, I remember the in 2000, the year before I won, I had trained with a buddy and he won and I was like, gosh, dang, I trained with him. What what did I do differently? And I just knew that I learned that he rested more than me leading into the race. The taper, his taper was there and mine wasn't. You know, I got second. And so, you know, the next year, the year I learned to rest more and learn just more you know, along the way, I, I won. And so, you know, all this stuff still carries over to today and now what I'm passing on to these kids. Okay. So speaking of rest and maybe some, you know, energy replacement, we, we're going to take a moment to talk about our podcast sponsor, the local amazing Honey Stinger. Um, they've been sponsoring the show since the beginning and they have so many incredible products to fuel athletes before, during, and after their workouts. They call it the, what do we have here? The prepare, perform, and recover program. And um, today we're drinking 
some of their hydration mixes. Tim, you mixed me up a very delicious glass of strawberry lemonade. Can you talk a little bit about this product? Well, I, you know, the in the prepare one, it, the drink mix, they make all their drink mixes, but it hydration is so key in any sport, no matter what you're doing. And it's cool that Honey Stinger has actually laid it out for the athletes. They've given you a prepare. They've given you, which is before you go out to work out. And then they give you perform, which is during the workout. And then there's recover, which you can take after the workout. And they each have different sodium levels and carbohydrate levels. Um, and, you know, it just makes it easy instead of drinking water. <laughs> well, know? okay. Going back to our high school swimming careers, I don't even think I ever brought a water bottle out on deck, maybe in college. Oh, it was shamed upon yeah. to have any water <laughs> or calories in our workouts. <laughs> what on I would go three-hour swim practice, 10,000-yard yes. swim practices, and the only water you're drinking was the chlorinated pool water yeah, by totally. accident. I mean, and every you, once in a while, our coach would throw some jelly beans into the bottom of the pool that we would munch on. But, God. You know, I, I mean, the it's funny brutal. story I have is that my brother would get so hungry that he would say he had to go to the bathroom and he'd run into the locker room and take bites of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and then come back into the so pool. Fun. Yeah, but coaches even they frowned upon getting out to go to the bathroom as oh, well. Yeah, for sure. You were you were expected to be in the water yes. the entire I mean, well, time. Well, we had a we had a chart on the wall that said whether you got one hundred percent of the practice done or not, oh. and because we had lane managers that were counting every lap we did, and my goal was always to get like one hundred and ten percent. Oh practice, my god! So well, real but, quick, um, just to wrap up, Honey Stinger. I have another story I want to talk about with this too, but use the discount code SSWSC podcast and you get 20% off Honey Stinger products. So go over to their website, honeystinger.com. They're awesome. I love everything they make. All right. So back to these stories. Um, I actually, it reminds me, <laughs> I just want to, for some reason, like you came from such a hardcore background. And now you're still hardcore. A lot of people probably think, oh my gosh, he's the toughest coach, whatever. I want you to share the story about how extreme it really was for you and how when for every minute late for practice, what did your coach make you do? Uh, 400 meter IM, individual medley, which, you know, takes over five minutes to do each one. At least. Yeah. And that's if you're going fast. Right. So how late were you one time? Uh, one time I overslept because my mom didn't wake me up. <laughs> Mom's <laughs> and, out Or my there? alarm didn't work. And I was like 27 minutes late. So you did 27? And you had to do them that day after the evening practice. That was for morning practice. I was late. And so... All day long all you day knew. All day long I knew that I had to do our normal practice. And then I had to do 27 400 IMs afterwards. So how late were you there? I was there till after nine o'clock at night. Practice ended at five. <laughs> oh my God. And the coach, you know, he wasn't going to do any. He knew I was the hardest worker and he wasn't going to do any favors. And, you know, I just got it done. He sat there and watched everyone, you know, and uh, gosh, <laughs> looking back at that, that's tough. But I was never I mean, that was the one time I was ever late. Oh my! You know, see, well, I guess you, learned, you know, <laughs> definitely. Learned. I haven't done that with any of my athletes here yet. I, you know, yet. I, I think I've told that, that story to them. But oh, I don't gosh. think they understand the concept of a four hundred IM and how you know hard that is, uh, and to do twenty seven of them. Yeah, a four hundred IM is four lengths of butterfly, four lengths of backstroke, four lengths of breaststroke, four lengths of freestyle. 
all nonstop. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. So that is part of your background. Yeah. Um, okay. So now picking up where we left off. So you, you know, you go through this long, storied, amazing triathlon career. In the middle, you hit a peak. And then for the last half of your triathlon career that you didn't know was the last half, because you don't know from year to year, are you still racing as a pro? Are you not racing as a pro? What are you aiming for? Where are you? You kind of experienced like the downside of the bell curve. So you in real life, and I was with you observing, watching and supporting, watched you go through the actual up and down curve of being an adult pro athlete. So can you talk a little bit about how your philosophies changed throughout those years? Well, the bell curve, I love that analogy because you do, you hit this peak and then eventually, whether it's age or something else, you start that downward slide. But you don't know it's the peak when you're in the peak and you don't know it's the slide when you're in the slide. Absolutely not. And you know the the looking back the real issue was that i had won the ironman and from then on that was the only success i could want i mean it was the sport has changed a lot since i finished and now there are other races and other things that you can really focus on and are very prestigious. And I won a lot of prestigious races, but all anybody remembers is the Ironman. And it was a time, you know, when as an athlete, like once you won that, that's all your sponsors wanted. That's all everyone wanted was you to focus on Ironman. And, you know, the sport today, there's guys that, hey, I won the Ironman, but now I'm going to go look at some of these other races and win those. And I think you see it in other sports as well, like cycling. You know, guys win the Tour de France, but then they say, oh, I want to win the Tour of Italy or Tour of Flanders. You know, you can pick other events and they're just as important to them to win. But for me, it was that one race. It wasn't, you know, a lot of people will go, well, how do you make money, you know, back in the day? And how you made money was you won prize purses. You were paid by sponsors, but not for social media because that didn't exist. Cell phones barely existed. And um, so sponsors, the way they worked with you is they paid you contracts and then they used your image in magazine ads. I mean, this sounds so old school, archaic now, but I mean, there's probably some relief in that. And, and you got bonuses. I mean, that's really what it was. There was no like trying to push yourself out there and adding this extra pressure and layer of trying to be a certain image in the public eye with social media. You could literally just be the athlete that you were made to be. Yeah. And our sport, you know, I mean, it it was another, it was kind of a fringe sport. It's not a main sport, you know, I mean, it it made the Olympics in 2000 and I missed the Olympic team, which I look at as a blessing, but unless you're winning a gold medal at the Olympics or the Ironman in triathlon, you're not, you know, really going to make a huge name for yourself and you're not going to get the big contracts and all that. And so, you know, I once I won the Ironman, that is what I was paid to do was go win the Ironman again. And once mm-hmm. I didn't win it again, you know, that weighs on you heavily. Um, and so, yeah, what advice do you have for kids, or, you know, as they as they're hitting peaks and, you know, girls who are going through puberty and hitting peaks and their bodies are changing boys too? you know, what do you have for their heads to help them get through this time? You know, 
first off, I think, you know, lean on your parents, lean on your coaches, you know, parents lean on the coaches because most of the coaches in our program have been through this. You know, we have some very talented and dedicated coaches and they've been through it. I mean, I had highs and lows as a high school athlete where I was was very hard on myself, even as, you know, as an adult triathlete, I was very hard on myself. And if I could go back, I would definitely take things a little more lightly. Um, And maybe that wouldn't be, you know, part of my success. Maybe that's what I needed to do to be successful was to be hard on myself. But I try so hard to keep things light with these kids and make sure they're having fun. I didn't have a lot of fun along the way. Um, And even winning the biggest races wasn't that fun. And so, you know, looking back now, like, and even in my, my days today, it really is about having some fun and being a little light. I mean, the world's a pretty serious place. So, uh, you know, at 15, 16, 17 years old, if you're not having fun doing what you're doing, then something is definitely wrong. I agree. I mean, I think at a certain point in your triathlon career, you're sliding down the backside of the bell curve, you have a baby, and something changes in your brain, right? Well, that, yeah. I mean, I was still planning to race that year after we had Wilder, and she popped out, and I knew right there that I was like, okay, my competitive drive kind of went down, and I was. I was done. I I hadn't, you and I hadn't really planned on having kids and we kind of decided one day, okay, we're going to try and have a kid. And I didn't know I was going to be a dad. I had no, no idea what kind of dad I was going to be. Um, but she popped out and everything changed. I was dad. Dad, um, dad's your main title. Yeah. That became my priority. I wasn't a pro triathlete anymore. I was dad. Didn't know what else I was going to be, but I was dad. And, um, you know, that was uh, eye-opening and super fun and new. And back to that same question, can I do this? Yeah. I wonder if I can do this. Well, that's around that time within a few years after Wilder was born is when I recall you starting to explore other sports that always had like a endurance was always sort of at the base of them, but they were different. So think about it. For 20 years, you swam in pools and looked at the bottom, the black line on the bottom of the pool. You rode a road bike on the side of the road with a goal of getting somewhere and back every day. And you ran on roads and eventually started running on trails. And maybe that was the foray into the fun for you. But talk about your entry into the sports you're coaching now, which are skiing and mountain biking, and why you discovered those, why you decided that that was the new frontier? Well, I think it was very similar to my transition from swimming to triathlon was, you know, I swam my whole childhood all the way through that first couple years of college. And like you said, staring at a black line of pool. And then I tried this triathlon thing and I was like, wow, I'm outside riding and running and swimming in lakes and oceans. And, you know, there's a huge, beautiful world out there and I couldn't get enough of it. And eventually, you know, after 20 years of that, it, you know, my favorite parts of training have always been the long ride and the long run, not the intervals, not, you know, the open water swim, stuff like that. It was the long rides through the mountains and the long runs in the mountains and on the trails or on the dirt roads, um, 
where I could kind of just lose myself or I was with friends and we'd, you know, my best memories are, you know, the winters I spent building base on riding five hours every day with cyclists and other triathletes and, you know, through the winter, you know, in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado. But I think when I was done racing that is, I was like, Hey, I know what I like, what part of the sport of triathlon that I liked, which were the long rides and long runs in the mountains. And so, you know, that was where the transition was. And I'd always loved alpine skiing growing up. My family did some alpine skiing. I'm not, I wasn't good at it. I hadn't done a ton of it throughout my triathlon career. I actually had clauses in my contracts that said, you can't ski. You know, they were worried about injuries and things like that. But I remember as soon as I was done and my contracts were up, I started skiing again. And this, you know, Nordic skiing was, you know, enticing. I liked the idea and I liked the work of skate skiing, but there was this new kind of sport taking hold and it was ski mountaineering or schemo. And to me that, that was intriguing. And I just, the first time I had a buddy who, you know, worked at DinaFit and helped me get some gear. And I went straight to the lightest weight gear I could get. And I was like, I'm basically running up these mountains on skis and skiing down. And I couldn't think of anything that was more fun and hard. And just, you know, you're in the mountains, you'd be in the dark in the, you know, in the light, you can go anywhere you want on these skis and you can go fast on the way down. And to me, it was, it was just, it was kind of like when I got out of that pool for the first time and you know, started running and riding for triathlon. It's kind of that whole earn your turns kind of uh, uh, mentality. A, I've got that mentality. I, you I, do. I mean, <laughs> here's like our family. We would go to vacation towns. Even when Wilder was little, we'd stick her on a, a pack and there wouldn't even be a discussion of, hey, do you want to buy a gondola ticket to go to the top? We were like, all right, let's hike to the top. We can take it in and take the gondola down. It was never, so we've always had that, and I have too, and I love it, you know, where you actually enjoy the up. And yeah. now we're enjoying the downs too, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to instill that in all the, you know, all the kids that I coach, and they have it on their mountain bikes. I mean, it, it you know, they, you know, they get up, they're, they're doing the uphills, and they, you know, they survive that, but every time they go downhill, they race. You know, it is as fast as we can go downhill. And, you know, I'm more of an opinion for myself now. It's like, I enjoy every turn. You know, I, I just let them go. And, and, but I, it's, it's one of those, you know, it's same with mountain biking and schemo. It's, it's just so similar to me. And I just have such a good time with it. And that, those two sports, that and still trail running in the summer, um, they occupy my life. And, and you know, the best athletes in the world in both of those sports do those sports together. Oh, for sure. I mean, some of the biggest, you know, endurance mountain bike races now, the, some of the top athletes are schemo athletes in the winter. Yep. And same with, you know, trail running races and ultras and things like that. There is a huge crossover between all these endurance sports and that that's what's so in, appealing to getting these kids you know, doing all these different endurance sports. Right. Because I remember when we were racing, we took two months off and didn't do the traditional swim bike run. We hiked. We hiked. We hiked uphill we and it. downhill. That's yep. all we did. Every, I, mean, I remember going every day. We had like an hour and a half hike and we did it because it was up in the mountains. And, you know, I took that as soon as Ironman was done. If we weren't doing some 
last race in Thailand or something like that, then we were just starting to hike. You know, it's like these kids are, it's like they're too young to be sitting on a trainer all winter when we have this beautiful snow, you know? It's like if you define yourself as a world champion mountain biker and that's what you want to be, get out in the winter. It's not going to hurt your mountain biking the next season to get out and do something different in the winter. It's In fact, it's probably going to help it, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's at this age... You know, 15, 16 is that prime age to actually start building your aerobic engine. And I I think of it that way. I, I love that terminology, the aerobic engine, because you're just building this foundation. I mean, it still carries me today. The foundation that I built as a swimmer and then as a triathlete. I mean, like I said, I got up this morning, did those two workouts already and didn't eat anything before that because my body is so efficient. I'm not saying that's a smart thing to do, but I have decades of <laughs> efficiency, of, mad at you of right efficiency now. <laughs> built, you know, and then I eat all day. But, you know, at, at that age, all you're doing is building an aerobic engine. It doesn't matter what you're doing, like whether you're cycling or Nordic skiing or, you know, ski mountaineering or running or whatever. You know, it just doesn't matter. You're still building that engine. As long as you're cycling the different levels of intensity, like, you know, we would build base all winter, you know, for our summer season when we were going to peak for our nationals and world championships, you know, three months in the winter were dedicated to low intensity work. And it just didn't matter what we were doing. I spent the majority of my time in the winter on the bike because I could, but you know, I mean, it's like to me, like I come out of the winter now fitter than I do of my from my summer of riding and running because I like the skiing so much. Well, and it's like, you know, parents listening when your kids are trying to figure out, should I focus more on this? What should I do in the off season? Whatever. It's the approach is, do you want to be a lifelong athlete in this sport or do you want to rip and burn and be done in two to three years? And yeah, you may find greatness in two to three years, but you may not be doing it when you're 40 and 50 and 60. And there's real joy in continuing to do these sports when we get older. Let's just well, and admit with a little, it. I, I mean, my, the two things I, focus on is patience and consistency. Mm. And I've preached that to every adult athlete I've ever worked with, to myself and to the kids. And you have to have some patience, but you have to be consistent day in, day out, do the work. And if your coach is coaching you right, they are going to be pushing you. And, you know, before the schema program that I started, it, was the kids, I think, finished mountain bike season or whatever they were doing in the summer and rode the lifts all winter or didn't do anything all winter. And that you're just setting yourself back to the starting point. You're not you capitalizing on any of the gains you made throughout the summer of the previous year. And now it's like, hey, let's let's build on this. You can come out of the winter at the same level you were at at your peak by just continuing to build your aerobic base throughout the winter. And you know, I mean, I'm a, I think it's just the most fun way to spend the winter is, you know, with with either 
you know, one of these winter sports that's still endurance based. Well, and it's a perfect time to be talking about this. This um, episode is going to drop when registration is still open. Winter programs haven't totally kicked off yet. And um, you're just coming off of mountain bike high school states. And there's been discussion about really trying to build a world-class mountain bike program here. And you're just about to kick off the second ever season of Schema, which was incredibly successful in the first season. So can you just talk a little bit about this? Uh, maybe we should move it, talk forward and focus a little more about Schemo. And for anybody who is on the fence and not sure if they should do it, we've already explained, you know, how it can help your mountain biking and um, how much, I, I just want you to share a little more about the actual Schemo program, maybe some stories from, from the kids from last year too. Well, yeah. And First, I want to say, yes, we are like we have this mountain bike program, like tons of kids. They start at super young age here. We've built we're building this mountain bike program. They're doing a fantastic job of all the levels. And we've got this now Devo team in the summer. And our goal is to have this be a pathway just like Alpine skiing, just like Nordic skiing to a national and world level. If you have the desire and the talent and the work ethic to get to that level, we want to have that path for mountain biking, just like we do for those ski disciplines. And part of that, though, is you have to keep working through the winter. And so, you know, the ski mountaineering program, Schemo, that was my way of saying, hey, let's get these kids doing something through the winter that's, you know, not trying to ride a trainer indoors, not trying to, you know, ride a fat bike all winter. Let's break it up. Let's build some different strength and balance in their bodies. And let's do this great sport, ski mountaineering, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, not in a bad way. I don't look like Nordic traditional cross country is kind of like the road cycling uh-huh. of winter sports. Yep. And schemo is kind of like the mountain biking. Yeah, of I winter could sports. see that. Yeah. And that's the way I'm trying to describe it to the kids. You know, the ones that are looking for some fun and to stay fit. Uh, you know, it's a great option. And we did have a blast last year. I mean, it was... It was a riot. We just had adventure after adventure. Um, we realized that our <laughs> Sunday morning uh, practice was, you know, a little ambitious being out there at 6 a.m. with high school kids on a Sunday morning. <laughs> at the resort, at going the resort, all and, the way to you know, the very top negative in zero temperatures. And, and they um, did it. But though. they did it and they loved it. And I know they have memories and they're because we talked about it all summer and I know that. You know, just like at the end of schemo season, the kids were like, ah, I think I'm ready to get on the bike. We're at the end of mountain bike season and they are all chomping at the bit to get back out on their skis. And, um, you know, I just, it was, it was really fulfilling for me to introduce these kids to this new sport and have them embrace it and do, you know, there's a whole town challenge series, just like the summer mountain bike series for schemo. You know, we have the same thing. We have Cody's challenge at the end of the year. We had athletes do that. And there's other races around the state. If that is, you know, what you want to do is jump into these races, um, you know, part of the cosmic series in Colorado. But, 
you know, the base of why I really want to do it was just to keep fitness building throughout the winter and have fun with these kids, introduce them to something. And I think I've introduced even some of their parents to it because it's just, it's a great fun way to be out there. I get my daughter out there. We go out mm-hmm. there very, yep. you know, often. Oh, I love it. I know. And I never thought I would. And you were like, here's what you do. You put these things on the bottom of your skis. They're called skins. And I was like, huh. And they actually grip the snow, like as if you're on an old animal hide back in the pioneer days, you know, and some days we would just go out there and explore Emerald Mountain. And every time I went with you, of course, we went to the very top of Lena Payne, the highest point you could go there, but it was always fun. And I never regretted it. And for anyone listening who really doesn't know what this sport is, Tim, maybe just explain the real quick basics of the equipment. Well, I mean, the one that we're doing, our, there's there's backcountry program and there's schemo program, and so the backcountry is a little more based on it's it's kind of like hiking in the woods with your skis on. You do you know you have skis, you have a boot that walks, you know, and then locks in place for the downhill for the and but it's comfortable. You're you know you're walking on the snow basically. Schemo is a little we. I try to get the kids because it's now in the Olympics. That is the whole reason I think we got this push through is that in 2026, it's the first year Schemo is going to be in the Olympics in Italy. And hopefully it'll be in there from now on. And we may have a shot of bringing an athlete or two. Well, my goal We're probably is probably one of the only programs. Uh, we are one of the only programs in the country for, for youth schema. I mean, there's a good one up in Summit County. And then Utah has a great program that they've been building for a number of years. And I want to be you know, similar to those programs. And my goal is by 20 to 30, 2030 Winter Olympics to have an athlete from here in the schema on the schema team. They just had their first national team camp down at the Olympic Training Center last weekend. And one of my friends was helping, um, you know, coach in that. And so it's getting real. And it's, you know, if someone has a goal of that or just is even interested in seeing it, you know, first Google schema races and watch some online and it's, they're amazing. They're fun. And so the, the, the schema program that, that I'm coaching is a little more based towards that. Meaning the kids are using very lightweight gear, you know, so we, it's much easier, much faster to go uphill, a little more challenging to come downhill. You'll improve your skiing a lot coming downhill on this lightweight gear because it's definitely, you know, more challenging, but, uh, it's just a great way to get out and you can, explore anywhere with this stuff. You know, I just, it's so fun to watch the evolution of your person in the world. You know, you're my person. You're seeing it. it. Um, I watch you daily. I mean, you wake up and there's a text from a parent worried about this, that, or whatever has questions or, you know, a kid reaches out and they just, uh, they're conflicted on, you know, who knows what, and you're in it. And it's fun to see you fully immersed in a new career. You know, you did not have a coach as a triathlete. You had a coach, coaches, obviously, we talked about them as a swimmer who shaped you. Um, But as for about 20 years, you really didn't have a coach, you had mentors. But now you have found your your calling as a coach to these kids in a different sport, but with the same philosophies that you learned along the way. What do you love most about coaching these kids? Well, coaching is another one. It's just like becoming a dad, fatherhood. 
I didn't know that I wanted to do it. I didn't, it wasn't my plan. Um, you know, first when I, we moved up here, I remember seeing, I, I believe it was the Nordic team, you know, training on the big mountain, you know, in the summer, uh, with their poles doing uphill running. And I was like, I want to be a part of this. I, you know, I, I want to somehow be a part of this with these kids. And I saw that there were kids actually dedicated and working hard. And I don't see that that often, you know? And so that, that stuck out to me. Um, and so I, first thing I did was volunteer with, I think the U 10 or U 12 mountain bike kids in the summertime. And, you know, and moved my way up to coaching like the Devo mountain bike program. And I, I still wasn't sure it was something I wanted to do, but I got to know these kids a little bit and each new kid that I did meet, it's just very fulfilling. Um, to, I, you know, I've experienced, I know what they're going through every day, you know, whether they're in a good mood or bad mood at practice, whether they're ready to work or not ready to work, they find the, you know, courage to put in the effort for that day. And, you know, and then just all my experiences are flooding back out of me and into them. Um, and it, to share that is like, you know, fulfilling is the only word. And, um, and they're teaching me as well so much about myself still and how to, you know, interact with them. You know, it's just, uh, at this point I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it. I would, I do consider it vital to who I am is to keep sharing and passing on what I've learned. I also consider myself a lifelong student. So I am constantly hitting up my fr old friends from the sport to learn, learn what is, you know, the new technology. I know so many nutritionists, you know, from that I worked with and they're on the forefront of new technology and nutrition and, you know, gear and all that stuff. And just, you know, the new training techniques. And I'm always on top of the, you know, the latest and greatest. And so I'm u learning that I tested on myself first. Oh, I know I've seen <laughs> and it. And then I, you know, what works and doesn't work or what has potential, you know, I'm passing on to these kids. And honestly, most of it hasn't changed. You know, hard work is, you know, at the forefront of everything and then just being smart about it. But it, you know, I honestly, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I'd never imagined I'd get so much, uh, fulfillment and just satisfaction out of working with kids at this age. Okay. Two more questions. So what have you learned from these kids that you're coaching? Well, I, I'm a little nervous about the teenage years of my own daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I ride behind these kids and I always ride at the back in case something happens. So I ride at the back and I listen to the conversations of these teenage kids and I'm always very amused and, um, you know, get a good chuckle out of, out of every day at practice. But, you know, every, what I've really learned is that every kid is so different, so different in what motivates them in what they need from a coach. And so you have to play so many different roles and you have to like, I can't coach everybody the same and I won't coach everybody the same. I'm there for each kid individually as you know, as much as I can give of myself to each kid, I want to do that. I mean, it's, it's just, they're at such a stage of development that you got to be there for them. You know, you've got to put them first and each kid is so different. So, you know, you can't pull them all together. And, you know, 
physically each kid's different. And that's, you know, it's very cool for me to see what works with one kid I know is not going to work with another one. And so you have to adapt everything. Oh, that is, that's what makes a great coach. That's a compliment. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> okay, babe. You're the only guest I've ever called babe on the show. <laughs> um, final question that we ask every guest. What is the greatest lesson you've learned through sport? I'm going to go back to that uh, patience and consistency in not only sport, but everything. Dealing with people. You know, if you're like you and I, you got to have patience and you got to be consistent, you know, from day to day. And, uh, you know, that's the patience thing has paid off in spades for me, like with my daughter. Like I, I did not have the patience as an athlete with myself sometimes, but the more you gain of that, she's taught me a whole nother level of patience. And uh, honestly, coaching these kids has taught me a whole nother level of patience. And, um, if I can keep that going and you know, then I, I'm, I'm pretty happy, but also the consistency of work through my entire life. I'm, you know, into my fifties now and happy birthday. Yeah. Coming up. It was yesterday. As of dropping this episode, oh. <laughs> it's in 10 days. <laughs> future, future. Um, but I have been, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I know anybody else who's as consistent as I am with workouts. Yeah, I don't either. Um, and it's it part drives of me crazy, but it's awesome at the same time. Hey, you know, that my knock on wood, my health has been there except for <laughs> minor little accidents along no, the you're way. You're amazing. And You've turned back the clock. That's and my goal is to keep that clock <sighs> ticking backwards instead of forwards. It's a high standard. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to stop. I don't judge God. anybody with that. No. Just myself. Oh, um, man. But yeah, I mean, I, I think if I can look back and, you know, use those two words and, and preach those two words to anybody I coach for sure. Uh, and yourself. And myself. Um, you know, and just don't take things too seriously, especially at that young age. Enjoy it. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Should I go back to bed? I'm tired now. <laughs> this was exhausting. And awesome. I got to go lift weights. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. I'll see you at dinner. See you later. Love ya. Yeah. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>